You know, I read in the news this morning, welcome everybody, by the way, good morning. Out there online, welcome, glad that you guys are here. Um, I read this morning that there are, uh, there's a large group, and I, I didn't catch the organization, but of American farmers, um, young men mostly, uh, who are going over to Israel. And their mission is to tend the farms of the Israeli men who are going into battle. And um, so where we serve and what we do in the kingdom is he will use it for his glory, right? And I swear every Veterans Day I get like this because it means so much to me. It, it means so much that people would put themselves out there with no gain whatsoever other than to protect and care for others. And that is, that's a powerful thing. Hey, um, let's, get into, let's get into our message today. I want to remind you, by the way, at the end of service, uh, we're going to be gathering up here in front to pray for Discover, uh, pray for the worldwide church in general, pray for Israel. We're going to take that time, and we're going to be doing that after service every time. Um, prayer is such an important weapon. It's also important for us in our hearts to get together and know that we are doing something beyond ourselves to lift up and to support and to encourage other people. So uh, I want to just invite you, and I'll remind you at the end. Um, we're in Ephesians. We're down to the last two messages. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this series, have learned a lot from it. Um, for me, it's just been so encouraging to look and see that, like, the first century church was dealing with the same kind of junk, the same kind of attacks that we are dealing with now. And it's just been good to know that, that God in his grace and his mercy and his infinite wisdom made a way for us to stand against all those things. No matter where we are, no matter where we are in time and space, um, the attacks are the same and he's made a way for that. Last week, I'm going to recap just a little bit because I know many of you weren't here last week and I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first half of this because we're in part two of the armor of God. There was just so much to cover. But so much has changed since the time of Paul. If you look at culture and technology and you just, you just look outside, I mean, the world has changed a lot. But the key things, the most important things maybe have not changed at all. And that is human nature, that is Satan's nature, and that is God's nature. Those things have not changed. It's just been moved around and repackaged a little bit, maybe in a more modern way. So if we look at that and we acknowledge that and we know that the struggles we have today are the same as, we, as they had back then, only just a little bit more modern looking. We need to then understand that there's a source to this conflict and look at that source and understand that source. The source of the conflict is not the other people on the other side of the political aisle. It's not your neighbor down the street who plays his music too loud or parks his car in the in the street and leaks oil all over the place. Those are not our enemies. We have an enemy, and it's the same enemy that we've had virtually since the beginning. If you remember last week, 
I started with this, Genesis 3.15. I'm going to do it again. Genesis 3.15. The Lord says, this is in the Garden of Eden. Most of you will be somewhat familiar with this scripture. And I'll make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's the very first instance of a battle. Anybody remember from last week what I said that was called, like the fancy name, make you sound smart? Proto-evangelium. It's called the Proto-evangelium, which means the first gospel. So it's the promise that not only is there going to be a continual fight, but there's also going to be a savior. There's also going to be a way to make it through. So it's that very first promise of a gospel message to come. Now, we fast forward a few millennia to the time of Paul and the time of Christ, the first century followers of Christ trying to deal with in this world. They're looking around at the Roman army, their primary influence in their world. And the Roman army is powerful. They have huge cities. They have legions of armies. They've got a budget. They've got soldiers. They've got everything. The first century church didn't have a budget. They didn't have an army. They didn't have fortresses. They didn't have any of those things. But what they had was far better than any army. The problem is they just needed to be reminded of that. They just needed to understand the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And so that's what we're talking about here. So this week we're in part two, the armor of God. We're going to be in Ephesians 10, or Ephesians 6 that is. Verses 10 through 17 is the whole thing. Um, We're going to be in, uh, I think it's 16, 17. Last two verses, but there's a lot. There is a lot there. So to remember the setting before I go into it, because context is so important. Um, Paul's writing this letter while he's under house arrest in Rome. He's in the very shadow of the Forum and the Colosseum, and he's in this, in this home, literally chained to a Roman guard. That's how house arrest worked then. It's not you get an ankle monitor and you get to go around and do whatever you want. It's his ankle monitor was a Roman soldier, literally chained to him all day, every day. That's how that worked. And so Paul would every single day as he wrote these epistles and as he did ministry and outreach, he would sit there and he would see this Roman soldier come in. These Roman soldiers, <coughs> excuse me, were known as the Praetorian Guard and they were the elite, which means they didn't slack a bit. So every day they came and chained themselves to Paul all day and they were dressed in their full armor, polished to the hilt, everything ready for battle. Now, Paul never gave them a battle. Paul never fought against them, but they practiced and they prepared every day the same way because they never knew when the call might come that they would be called somewhere else. There's a riot in the city and they get called to to take care of that or whatever or any kind of attack that would come. They never knew. So this is the setting when Paul is writing this gospel. He's seeing this preparation every single day And he says, why don't Christians prepare like that? Why don't we, as followers of Christ, prepare that diligently every single day? Not just, I think I got a battle coming, so I'm going to get ready today. 
Prepare that way every day. That's the illustration that he's trying to use here. And so if we, if we go back, I'm going to read Ephesians 6. I'm going to read 10 through 17. A whole thing again, just so we get this entire picture. And then we'll go into the pieces. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against, against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so you will be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how many people have seen an image like this? It's the same one I showed last week, right? An image like this or some version of it. There's millions of them out there. So we're all at least on the surface especially you more seasoned Christians, hear me, okay, you know who I'm talking about, have seen or heard a version of this message a hundred times. And you might be thinking, what more can you tell me about this? I want to ask you, for those of you who might be thinking this kind of thing, if someone came to you, brand new Christian, or maybe a non-believer altogether, and said, what does it mean to have your waist belted with truth. What does that mean? And what would I need to do in order to do that? Could you explain that to them? What about having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace? How exactly do you do that? And how can you tell if you haven't done a good job of that? Maybe you need to shore up that. If you can't articulate that very well, I want to urge you to go back and listen to last week and hear me today because that's what we're talking about here. It's not another message about all the individual pieces. It's, it's practical stuff. What does it mean? What does it look like if yours is not working? And how do you strengthen it? That's what we're talking about. So last week, again, we went in-depth into the individual parts. Going to do a quick recap. I mean, really quick. First piece, the belt of truth. The belt of truth means the knowledge of and the belief in biblical truth. Okay. The second piece, the breastplate of righteousness, means living a life of integrity that leaves no opening for accusation. Okay. The third piece, sandals of the gospel of peace, means operating on the solid footing of the certainty that God loves you and is for you. Please go back and listen if you missed any of those. Today, though, today, we're going to talk about the rest. We're going to pick up where we left off, Ephesians 6, 16. 6, 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the fourth part of the armor, the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Here's an image of the Roman shield. That's what it looked like. That's what he's talking about here. The shield was designed to protect the entire body. It wasn't just a small little 
uh, jousting shield or, or a hand fighting shield. It protected, the idea was, it would protect the entire body. And most importantly, the protection was meant to be against the first wave of attack that would come their way. Now, you've all seen them uh, put together, stack them side by side, and kind of create this impenetrable fortress. But really, they would march with this thing. They wouldn't wait until they got into a battle. Okay, let's get our shield. This thing's heavy and clunky. Let's get it, and let's get it into place. They would march with that shield there because what would happen is as they're walking along, as they're marching, attack would come suddenly. So it would be a spear. It would be an arrow. It would be a dart. And so this shield was designed to protect them from that first wave, that, that unexpected first wave of spears, arrows, darts that would come by surprise. So the shield of faith for a Christian is an unyielding trust that the promises of God are true. Let me tell you how that works. Belief is different than faith. Beliefs are very different than faith. Belief refers to an intellectual acceptance of the facts as presented to you, okay? While faith adds the idea. It's a whole nother layer of trust based on something that is unseen. And it's made stronger each time you see the results of exercising that faith. I'll show you how that works. Beliefs can be easily manipulated emotionally. Okay, how many times have you heard somebody so firm in their beliefs, but they're dead wrong? How can an otherwise intelligent human being be so sure that they're correct but they're still wrong. Don't look around the room. Because they can be manipulated. Beliefs can be manipulated emotionally pretty easily, shockingly easily, easily in a human being. I can be made to believe with all my heart that I can fly, but the results of jumping off a cliff are gonna be undeniable, like this. Anybody ever get a pillowcase or a sheet up on your roof as a kid? Tim and Amanda, I would not say this in front of your boys. Right? They're not, they're not hearing this. I, for one, can say I did that with the full belief that I was going to fly. The results showed otherwise. Faith is a much different thing. Faith is a much, much different thing. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for and a proof of things not seen. Certainty and proof. Okay, it tells you right there in Hebrews. It's not just a matter of, well, I take it on faith that this is all going to happen. There's proof of things that you can't see. One scholar said it like this, much better than I could. Faith 
is to take a biblical fact and experience it. Faith is to take a biblical fact and experience it. Paul explicitly tells us that this shield of faith is to defend us from flaming arrows. Now, flaming arrows is uh, a lot of translations use flaming arrows or, or different things, but really darts is the correct translation there. And, and darts translates as the word plumbatas, which in our context, we're like, why would I worry about darts being thrown at me? The worst I'm going to get is a puncture wound. This is what they're really talking about there. What these were, Roman soldiers would take about a half a dozen, and they're, they're little. They're just like really small handheld things. They would take about half a dozen, and they would clip them to the back of their shield, and they would dip them in poison or more usually flammable tar. And when they got into a battle, they would, that would be one of the first things that they threw. And they weren't immediately lethal. It was kind of the point. They weren't meant to be lethal. What they were meant to be is irritating and distracting. That's what they were meant to be. It would cause severe pain. It would cause burns. And it would make the enemy ineffective by distracting him from the lethal blow that was to come. Put this in the context of a Christian shield of faith. Those little flaming arrows, those darts, those little things that come at you to irritate you, to distract you, they're not the full-on frontal attack. They're meant to distract you, to take your time up, to divert your attention away from the lethal blow that's coming from somewhere else. This is how the enemy works. These flaming arrows that Paul's talking about, what we would call them today is temptations, distractions, temptations. They come upon us suddenly and they can hurt us before we even know they're there. We just suddenly find ourselves in that place. They take up our time and attention and distract us from what's important. Now, this isn't a today problem. As I look around and half the people in here are on their phones. Now, I'm going to say you're probably looking at Scripture on your phones. But it could also be the score of the game. It could also be my schedule. It could also be a lot of things. It's just the way life works. And you look around and go, and, and I'm not condemning anybody for that. I know that's what happens. Um, but this isn't a modern problem. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He's getting ready to go into Jerusalem to fulfill his, his destiny, what he knows is going to happen. And he's in the garden. And he has to tell him this. This is Luke twenty two forty. 40. Now when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you do not come into temptation. Okay? And what do they do? fall asleep, they do, they do all kinds of things. But he has to tell them, look, you're with Jesus. He's about to go in to give himself up for sacrifice. You are at the enemy's gate. And he's got to tell them, don't fall into temptation. This isn't, a, this isn't a modern problem. It's been going on the whole time. Here's how you can know that your shield of faith is lacking. 
And I know lacking is a strong word, maybe, but I don't want it to be condemning. I want you to know that your shield of faith needs repair if, number one, you find yourself vulnerable to these temptations that just pop up around you suddenly every day. Maybe to the point, number two, you begin to doubt that you're a follower of Christ because you just can't seem to avoid these temptations that keep coming your way. Why do I look too long at that image that pops up on the TV screen? Why do I find myself in places I shouldn't be? Why do I do the things I shouldn't do? And you start to doubt that you're even a follower of Christ because you can't seem to get it together. Number three, you finally give in to them because you're just so tired of resisting. Maybe you tell yourself, what could it hurt? That's how you know. Those are some of the signs. Here's how you can strengthen your shield of faith. Here's how you can strengthen it. First of all, understanding that God already made a way through. <coughs> so I'm going to pull out a, a cough drop. Pull that out. God's already made a way through. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you except something that's common to mankind. And God is faithful, so he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, with the temptation, simultaneously with the temptation, will provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Saying nothing is going to happen to you that hasn't happened to people since the beginning of time. But along with every temptation comes a way out. We just have to look for it. And understanding that it's there, look for it, find it. The first way, the most obvious way, is through Jesus, right? 1 John 5, 4, for whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So if we go back to that quote, that faith is to take a biblical fact and experience it. If that's what faith is, then to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your shield of faith. Here are just three bullet points, right? Number one, believe what the Bible says. If you struggle with that, start there. Believe what the Bible says. Number two, use what it says to resist temptation. And number three, maybe the hardest one, remember that it works. Remember that it works. I promise you, the next time you're faced with temptation. I had a struggle years ago. It wasn't anything horrible, but it was something that I couldn't seem. It was a habit that I just couldn't seem to overcome. And what I told myself is, look, I'm not going to try all these weird um, reminders and different things to stop myself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to promise myself, hey, if you want to do that thing, do that thing. But promise yourself before you do you're going to take 10 seconds and just pray to God. That's it. Like, if I still want to go do that, I'm going to go do that. But I promise myself, I'll take 10 seconds, pray to God. You know what? Every single time, it worked. Every single time, I went, I don't really need to do that thing. It works. It works. And each time you do it, it gets more automatic. It gets easier. We're down to the last verse. 
The last verse contains two parts of armor. Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the fifth part of the armor, the helmet of salvation. Now it's important to know that the salvation that that Paul is talking about here is not from the penalty of sin. Okay, Jesus Christ paid that. But the power of sin is still there. And the helmet of salvation protects us from the power of sin. And here's the thing to know, it is infallible and it is impenetrable, impenetrable as long as we put it on. I was going to do an illustration. That's what, a, that's what a Roman soldier helmet looks like. It was obviously the plumage and everything is very grand, but every single piece of it is designed for a specific purpose. The plumage, when you see a legion and they all have that grand plumage, that is intimidating. It wasn't there for any sort of battle purpose other than to be intimidating. Every other piece was designed to protect for, for a certain reason. So that's generally what it looked like. But if you don't put it on, it doesn't do you any good, does it? Our assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ is what gives us the courage to stand against things that come at us. It's an assurance of salvation. It's not the fact that you have been saved. It's the assurance that you are saved. Romans 8, 38, 39, Paul says this, For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. And Jesus, in his own words, said this, Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a pretty straightforward statement, right? I don't think I can elaborate on that much. John eleven twenty five twenty six, 25, 26, Jesus again said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? If you can answer yes to that, then your helmet of salvation is, is strong. If you struggle with that idea, you might need to shore that up. And you'll know that your helmet of salvation is lacking if, here's again my four, four points, Number one, you think more about what the world thinks of you than about securing your place in eternity. Number two, you give Satan more credit for your actions than you take yourself. It's Satan's fault. He did that. He did that. He made me do it. Number three, you often doubt what the Bible says about heaven and your place in it. Number four, you hide from spiritual battles rather than confront them head on. Every believer in Christ is equipped to stand against a spiritual battle. 
If you see or feel a spiritual battle coming and you're like, yeah, I'm going to leave that to somebody more qualified, then your helmet of salvation may need a little work. Here's how you can strengthen your helmet of salvation. Number one, remember that the victory has already been accomplished. John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Victory's already happened. And here's what it says that final victory will look like. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. We are assured of victory. Victory has happened. And victory is still to come. We don't need Satan lying to us and telling us that we've lost the battle somehow or the battle's hopeless. When we're faced with any difficulty to overcome, think of those promises first. All right, the last part of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, Paul could have said the catapult or the bow and arrow or the javelin. I mean, those are a little bit more lethal, at least long range, than a sword is. But he chose that specifically because those things are long range and they're impersonal. The attacks we face are very personal. They're very, very personal. And so the word that Paul uses in that scripture is gladius. And gladius is a very specific type of Roman sword. Okay, they had the long sword, which was meant for just these big old long hacks. The gladius is a short, you saw it in the picture of the, of the shield. It's got a short blade, maybe 24 inches long. And it's meant to get in personal, short and down and dirty and up close. There's an image of it. That's what the gladius looks like. It's meant for in-person, up-close fighting. Now, it's also important, and you've probably heard this before, that the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. Anybody never heard that before? Most of us have heard that at some version, and it's, it's on purpose that that's the last one, that the offensive weapon is the last one, because you need training. You can't just say, as a brand new Christian, I'm going to go out and offensively wield the Word of God. It takes training. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he spells it out. We don't have to go, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. But many people have been led to believe that this means carrying around the Word of God, the biggest one possible, with which you can wield it with like a double overhand and smack somebody in the head with it. For example... Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as division of soul and spirit, 
both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, where it says the word of God, that word right there translates as logos. Now there's two basic types. When, when scripture says the word of God, essentially, and there's subtle variations, but there's the word, the logos word, which is the written word, and the rhema word, which we're going to talk about here in a second. This is the logos word that he's talking about right there, the written word of God, and it's a wonderful idea, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about, he uses very intentionally a different form of the word word, and that word there is rhema. Rhema is the living, dynamic voice of the Holy Spirit spoken directly to a believer by faith. That's what the rhema word is. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit spoken out loud in this case. So it's enough to have it, but in order to use it as a weapon, as an offensive weapon, you speak that word that the Holy Spirit gives you, the living, dynamic voice of the Holy Spirit spoken directly to a believer. You receive it. You speak it out loud. That's how to wield the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is a direct word from the Holy Spirit for a specific situation helping you to apply a specific scripture. That's what Paul's talking about. For example, remember when Jesus went into the wilderness after being baptized right before beginning his ministry? Spent all that time there, and what happened to him there? He was tempted by Satan over and over again. And what did Satan do? Misquote scripture to him. Satan did not misquote scripture at all. Satan quoted scripture to him in an attempt to trip up and to confuse Jesus. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, he, Jesus, and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That word that Jesus is using is rhema. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy there. If you think that was even a modern thing for Jesus, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3 back there which uses the Hebrew version of the word rhema. So it is the spoken word. It is understanding scripture, being able to speak what the Holy Spirit gives you to counter a specific situation that comes your way. Usually somebody misquoting or misusing the word of God. And you can say, that's not what it says. Here's what it says. And it's not just head knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit speaking it to you. Then you use it. You speak it out loud. You'll know that your sword of the Spirit is lacking when, number one, you're uncomfortable trying to use it. The Holy Spirit will give you a specific Bible passage or a specific, it doesn't have to say, this is Deuteronomy 12.8. But it'll give you the words. It'll give you the words for a specific attack, a specific temptation, if you ask. Now, when I talk about being uncomfortable trying to use it, I won't ask for a show of hands, because that's the last thing you would want if you did, but many people in this crowd, I know, 
have concealed carry permits. I have one. And the first thing they tell you when you're going to do that is they say, look, if you haven't practiced, if you're not comfortable, do not carry it. Because the most dangerous thing out there is somebody who's carrying a weapon and doesn't know how to use it. So train for it. It's the same thing with the sword of the spirit. Train for it. And you'll know again, you'll know that it's lacking when you're uncomfortable trying to use it. How about this? You're swayed by a persuasive personality. There's so much I could talk about there, but I'm not going to. You find yourself doubting God's promises. Or, here's the worst one, I think. Your insecurity over knowing the word and knowing your ability to hear the Holy Spirit stops you from even trying to use it. And what you do then is you revert to common sense, which is neither common nor sensical in most places. Or worse yet, you're just silent. In the face of an attack, you're just silent. You can strengthen your sword of the Spirit by, number one, practice asking the Holy Spirit for guidance. Learn to discern his voice from yours. Learn to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit from the voice of Satan. Speak what you hear out loud. Whatever you hear, the results of your praying and asking the Holy Spirit for guidance, speak it out loud to another believer that you trust to test it. Does this sound like something that the Holy Spirit would say? Learn how to discern the Holy Spirit from Satan. We have a class, and I'm surprised she hasn't jumped up and said hallelujah already, Jackie. Class called Led by the Spirit. If you have never taken it, especially if you, if you are not sure or struggle at all discerning the voice of the Spirit, or better yet, discerning the voice and go, how do I, how do I use that in life? I want to encourage you, urge you as strongly as I can to talk to Jackie and to take that class, that Led by the Spirit class. Here's another way you can do. When you practice hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, journal what you've done. In other words, if I'm going to seek the Holy Spirit on what I should do, because I know I've got a difficult conversation coming up, Holy Spirit, what what did I say to this person? And I receive something, write it down. And then do a debrief afterwards and go, how did that work out? Like the thing that I thought was crazy to say to this person was exactly what they needed to hear. That was awesome. Write that down. Because then you'll learn that that was the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, conversely, you do that and you go, that worked out horribly. Then go, well, was it because I didn't deliver it confidently? Or... Was it just wrong? That I confront that person with something I thought I heard, but it just demolished them. It damaged them. It hurt them. Write that down. By doing these things, you can go back and look and see, okay, when I did this and when I did that, there's a difference in the outcomes, and that's how you can then learn and become more comfortable using it. 
Do that over and over again until you're comfortable discerning the difference. Because guess whose voice is just as loud, if not louder, than the Holy Spirit's? Satan's voice. In deliverance ministry, we usually tell people, and it's not foolproof, but we say, look, when you pray to the Holy Spirit, give me guidance for this. The first voice you hear is often going to be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And then immediately following that is an even louder, more persuasive voice, more logical in many ways, is the voice of Satan saying, yeah, but they're going to think you're weird if you do that. Try this instead. Practice. It's the only way you're going to know. All right, so to wrap this up, hey, I'm doing good on time. (laughs) Famous last words. So to recap, okay, follower of Christ cannot effectively make it through a day without intentionally putting on the armor every morning. You can't do it. You're in a battle every day, whether you know it or not. You are. So to recap all the pieces, I'm going to recap all the pieces really quickly here. First piece, the belt of truth from last week, means the knowledge of and the belief in biblical truth. You'll know your belt of truth is lacking when you can make a question what you believe is true and can provide no logical argument for what you believe. You can strengthen your belt of truth by as much as possible immersing yourself in the word and surround yourself with other people doing the same thing that you can learn from. The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. It means living a life of integrity that leaves no opening for accusation. And you'll know your breastplate of righteousness is lacking when you are vulnerable to spiritual battles because the enemy knows your secrets and uses them against you. You can strengthen your breastplate of righteousness by choosing to rid yourself of those things in your life that defile you and confess your sins. Confess them. The third part of the armor is the sandals of the gospel of peace. This means operating on the solid footing of a certainty that God loves you and is for you. And you'll know that your sandals of the gospel of peace are lacking when you spend most of your time and energy trying to earn God's approval rather than understanding that you already have it. And you can strengthen your sandals of the gospel of peace by identifying the lies you're believing about your own worthiness to be loved and countering them with God's truth. That's deliverance ministry in a nutshell right there. The fourth part of the armor from today, the shield of faith. The shield of faith for a Christian is an unyielding trust that the promises of God are true. And you'll know that your shield of faith is lacking when you find yourself vulnerable to these little temptations that pop up all day long. You can strengthen your shield of faith by believing what the Bible says about your victory in Christ. Use what it says to resist temptation. And remember that it works. Fifth part of the armor is the helmet of salvation. Our assurance of salvation is what can give us courage to stand against everything that comes our way. 
and you'll know that your helmet of salvation is lacking when you often doubt what the Bible says about heaven and your place in it. You can strengthen your helmet of salvation by just remembering that the victory has already been accomplished. You have already received salvation. Your place in eternity is secure. So face the day knowing that. The final part of our daily armor is the sword of the Spirit. Again, a direct word from the Holy Spirit for a specific situation, helping you to apply a specific scripture. And the Holy Spirit will give you that knowledge, give you that wisdom when the time, if you ask. It's kind of important, the asking part. You'll know your, silent, your sword of the Spirit is lacking when your insecurity over using the word simply stops you from trying to use it. You can strengthen it by practicing asking the Holy Spirit for guidance and learning to discern his voice. All right, I'm down to the last part, which honestly I consider the most important part. The reason that Paul very carefully uses the wording full armor of God is that you never know which attack is going to come your way. Are darts going to come flying at me? Or am I going to be confronted with somebody arguing truth? What's going to ha- what is going to happen to me today? You don't know. Otherwise, you just go, well, I'll just carry my shield today because I don't need the rest of this. It's bulky. It's baggy. It's hard. We have to prepare every day because we never know which part we're going to need the most. Now, go back to the Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers used every minute of downtime meaning they're not actively marching, they're not actually in a battle. They would inspect their armor, they would shore it up, they would repair it, they would polish it, they would do whatever they needed to do to make sure that every single piece of their armor was 100% intact, ready to go, and fit for battle. So as a Christian, if you're going to write anything down, write this part down. You can't become comfortable with scripture and biblical truth in the middle of an attack. That's not the time to do it. You can't retroactively, suddenly, live a life of integrity when the accuser comes at you. You can't suddenly know in your heart that God is for you if you don't believe it already. You can't suddenly conjure up rock-solid faith if you've never practiced it until now. You can't effectively fight against lies if you don't understand Scripture and how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to get up every morning and be intentional about taking inventory. When it says put on, take inventory of those individual pieces what do I really need to work on today? We have to get up every morning and be intentional about every part and how to use it. Because I've said this before, the most effective way to lose a battle is to not realize you're in one. And you've been given every single thing that you need to win this battle by the one who gave it all for you. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Next week, 
We're going to conclude the series with the one part, one very key part of Christian warfare that we haven't really discussed yet, and that's the power of prayer. So join us next week as we wrap all this up. But remember, this is not meant to be condemning. This is meant to point out those places in your armor where maybe you've been complacent and go, I'm not really as solid on that as I thought I was. I need to work on that. None of this happens overnight, which is why Paul says, do it every single day. Get up in the morning and go, you know, I haven't been in the Word in so long. I'm just going to spend some time in the Word today. I'm just going to read it. Or I haven't the faintest idea how to even study to find an answer in Scripture. I'm going to see if I can't maybe find a class or find a way online or find a way to learn to study Scripture. And if you've been going here for any length of time, I hope you've been picking up some tips on how to study Scripture. And you have to know that God's for you. You have to know that he's for you. And if not, see Pastor Scott back there, sign up for deliverance ministry. Because if you don't believe that God is for you, you're believing a lie. And that's the surest way to take all this armor and just leave it at home. Because what good is it going to do you if I've already lost? Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful for the strength and the courage and the armor that comes from an assurance of who your son is. And I'm so thankful that with everything in my life, you called out to me. You called out to me and said, follow me. So Lord, I just pray that I get up every day and understand that I'm not worthy because of what I do. I'm worthy because of what you did. I'm worthy because you say I am. So help me to get up every day and put on the armor of God. Put on the knowledge of you. Put on faith in you. Help me to stand against the things that come my way. Help me to understand that my battle is not against flesh and blood. My battle will never against be against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are the instruments that the real enemy uses. Help me to see that. Help me to fight that battle with love and the bigger battles with faith. Father, I love you and I trust in you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> We're going to go into communion right now. I've asked uh, Stan and Jackie up here. If you don't know who Jackie Jacobson is, she'll be serving communion up here. And she's the better looking of the two, honestly. Sorry, Stan. But, but uh, Gabe and I will be over here. Uh, we have self-serve in the back if you'd like to serve yourself. Um, but feel free to move around as we worship. And then when we're finished worshiping, after the last worship song, again, if you want to gather with us and just pray for this church, lift it up. This church needs your prayers. We need your prayers. The church worldwide needs your prayers. If you want to join us in that, gather up here. We'll do it for a few minutes. I want to remind you, if you go like, I don't have 20 minutes to stand and pray, the Lord will take two. The Lord will take one. And if he'll accept our prayers like that, who am I to say any different? You come and go as you can. We would appreciate it.
So let's move around and take communion now. Thank you, guys.